you can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined as always by Adam Belmar. The end of July 2021 and the 2020 Olympic Summer Games are quietly playing out on the other side of the planet. Adam, have you been watching? I have not, although I have been keeping up with the news reports. And I feel like I've done my part at least as much as any good consumeristic American can. I've set my YouTube TV to record everything. So I feel like I've got it, even though I haven't yet looked at it. But I keep hearing the headlines both about some of the amazing performances that we're seeing from some names we don't know so well in the gymnastics and in the pool and obviously some dramatic stories, Michaela, but no, I haven't been watching yet. I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. And while I haven't been able to watch everything as I usually do, and also just getting the news reports early in the morning, it makes it sort of hard to stay and pay attention later in the night. But yeah, gymnastics and swimming are do my favorite. Do you though. remember 10 or 15 years ago, even here in Washington, D.C., they play a giant sounder on WTOP warning people, you know, yes. the results you're about to hear have not yet been broadcast. And now we know that it's happening on the other side of the planet. It's 12 hours ahead of us. And that news and the access, if you really want it, is instantaneous. So we're not making any noise about early results. The results are happening in real time, Michaela. Yeah, that's true. And and Adam, meanwhile, back here in D.C., the August congressional recess looms large. And I know so many people are ready for a break. Yeah, I feel like I've seen this movie before, too. Urgency and deadlines are certainly uh, key ingredients for the successful baking of any legislative cake. But they alone do not do the trick, Michaela. And despite the summer heat, I suspect this congressional oven is not yet hot enough to finish any meal before the recess bell rings. Well, Adam, you know, to follow your metaphor, I think that one of the main ingredients still missing will be delivered in the form of direct feedback from constituents waiting for members back home in their districts. Oh, you're so right. The best window into the political calculus of Washington, D.C., it seems to me, is usually right back home when lawmakers are able to engage directly with their communities. And, you know, Adam, engagement is exactly the right word to describe the role our guest on the podcast today plays at Visa. Coming up, Visa Government Engagement Executive Adrian Marks. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAB activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is brought to you by Access Marketing Services. From design to podcasts, from infographics to digital, work with the team that leading PACs and government affairs programs call when they need results. Access Marketing Services. And joining us now, Adrian Marks, PAC Director, Global Government Relations at Visa. Adrian is responsible for managing Visa's Political Action Committee, civic engagement, regulatory compliance at the federal and state level, and corporate diversity and inclusion initiatives. You have a lot on your plate, Adrian. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love this energy. Well, Adrian, I have been asking guests this question all year, and I just want to kick off the show with a very direct question. Are employee-funded and business association packs still relevant today, and why? Yes, yes, and yes, literally. Employee-funded and association packs 
are more important now than ever. Honestly, if you think about it, I mean, who is going to advocate on behalf of the business industry? You know, when I talk to employees, I say policymakers deal with a whole host, a broad range of issues on any given day, most of which are not related to any one specific industry. So I can't assume that they know our issues or understand how our particular business works. And I can't really rely on others to tell them what we're doing. I mean, they have policy interests that may be opposite of ours. So I would say for those reasons, it's super critical that we continue to engage policymakers. That advocacy that you're talking about is something that you have really built up with your entire team at Visa. And the company itself is so oriented towards the public. Communication is absolutely key to the brand, the accessibility. You guys have hubs all over the place. I know you're headquartered in San Francisco. When it comes to corporate social responsibility, Adrian, and the social impact initiatives that you have purview over, how aware and active are your firm's employees on that front? Our employees are very aware and actively engaged. I think our corporate social responsibility and social impact initiatives have definitely become much more popular over the last year and a half. And whether it's engaging in volunteer or community service efforts, joining employee resource groups, holding town halls and holding our senior leaders accountable, our employees are what I like to say, 10 toes down. <laughs> they are very involved. <laughs> that said, I mean, corporations, particularly in my industry, B2C, you know, business to consumer, publicly traded companies are facing more scrutiny with their employees. And I like to think about it in terms of, I'm a sociology major uh, in undergrad, and I like to think about it in terms of social institutions. So really back in the day, your church or your school used to be your social institution. And now your job, your company, where you work is your social institution. That's where you spend the most of your time, particularly you know, living in this post-COVID I don't know, can we even say post-COVID? <laughs> in this post-COVID world, you know, people are with their colleagues more than ever. I mean, you see it now, like you invite people into your homes and I think that your company is literally the most prominent social institution for that reason. And Adrian, I just want to say, you know, I think especially in the last six to, you know, maybe eight months, corporate America is really under the spotlight, you know, in the media. And it's as if the corporations can do no good. But you just touched on something that I think is so important is that corporations are doing amazing work, not only with their employees, but in their communities, giving back, paying attention to the big issues. And I love that you're so engaged with all of that over at Visa. Thank you. I want to kind of switch gears to one other very important topic. I know that we announced at the outset that you do also work internally with Visa on your corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And you were also a part of NAPAC's DEI task force. How important is it that the PAC community government relations professionals have this top of mind and as a priority going forward? Sure. So, Michaela, thank you so much for raising this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Anyone who knows me knows that I call myself an influencer because I love this topic so much. I approach diversity, equity, and inclusion, honestly, personally and holistically. 
you know, as a black woman living in America, working in corporate America all my adult life, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> I often, I'm, I'm often the only black woman in a room or, you know, one of a handful, you know, attending a meeting or around the table. So I occupy non-black spaces quite often. And I know that I stand on the shoulders of giants. And it is my job to remember the sacrifices that they made, honestly, before I even got here, that I can even be here with you, Michaela, and you, Adam, speaking today. So I don't take any of that for granted. That said, I can honestly say that my company has not just tried to check a box or make a statement built on empty promises. I am really proud that Visa has really made the commitment of allyship and taking it to the next level by embedding it in the infrastructure and prioritizing it as a core function of the work that we do together. So whether it's our Visa Black Scholars and Jobs Program for high school seniors, or She's Next, an initiative to support Black women and small-owned businesses, or our partnership with First Boulevard, which is a neobank and they're really working to expand generational wealth through financial empowerment. I think the company has made a conscious effort to really focus and have it as a core function, which a lot of employees really appreciate. So for me, as a global government engagement professional working in Washington, D.C., but also with the personal experiences, I think it's just important to, and the lessons that I think about are meet people where they are. You know, Adam and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And when I say meet people where they are, that includes packing your patience. <laughs> you know, like we're all a sum of our experiences. So get comfortable being uncomfortable. I always say if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And then ask yourself, what are you doing to move the conversation of allyship forward? You know, are you seeking alternative voices and perspectives? Because, you know, when we talk about DE&I, it's not always race, ethnicity, age, sex. It's also diversity of thought. And then I would also say, are we calling out bad behavior or are we cringing in silence? You know what I mean? So use the power of your privilege to amplify the voices of others. And that to me is a really great start. Let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's just talk about your PAC solicitation outreach. You know, what has Visa PAC done so far this year, given this environment that we're in? Sure. So like several other PACs, we were off to a very slow start following the insurrection. We typically do multiple solicitations from January to early spring. And then our fundraising, our huge to-do is our summer raffle. In the past, we've raffled everything from Hamilton, Broadway tickets, U.S. Open tennis championships in New York, Kennedy Center events, and other local events. This year, we took a different approach. We kind of didn't solicit between January and May. And then we kicked off our huge summer raffle. Employees were super jazzed about it. I'm so thankful. Uh, this year we are raffling a Peloton bike, a mirror home fitness system, 
um, in a Traeger or the Big Green Egg Ceramic Grill. So it's all kind of geared towards more employees being working from home, being at home more often. And I think this year with our three grand prize winners and eight runner up winners, um, everyone has been super jazzed up. So we just finalized that we just closed, I should say, the raffle. So I don't have our final tally, um, but I'm really excited because at last count, I'd raised a very substantial amount of money. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> Adrian, how important is the education and communication mission that goes on even without the solicitation component? So over the last, I'd say, two or three years, I have made a conscious effort to ensure I'm communicating with employees frequently. So whether it's a Washington update, coffee conversation, chat and chew, that's my take on a lunch and learn, politics and payments, et cetera, I know that employees are more engaged now than ever. They have a ton of questions surrounding political advocacy and meetings with government officials, civic engagement. I get so many questions just from people who are not eligible and or sometimes people who don't contribute to the PAC. They want to know where we spend our money, how we decide who we give to. There are just so many questions that people have. So I love working with my employee resource groups. I find that that partnership is natural. It's a supernatural pipeline that allows me to do the work that I do. I figure my lobbyists educate members of Congress and I educate my employees. I love communicating with them, whether it be civic engagement updates, uh, Washington updates, literally anything, any reason that I can to engage with them, I try to do that. And Adrian, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about how important it is to be consistently communicating with your eligible employees. And it sounds like, you know, in the wake of January 6th, because you've already had this best practice in place and you've been, you know, critically engaged with your employees, how much sort of negative feedback or sort of um, concerns have been raised in these last several months? I'll be honest with you. Right after the insurrection, I received a number of emails from employees on both sides of the aisle wondering where we are, where we stand. And we took a very balanced approach. I mean, anyone who knows knows that Visa is we try to say bipartisan, our PAC is, we have our in our bylaws, kind of an unwritten rule, but then they kind of wrote it in that we contribute to members on a 50-50 ratio. We try to abide by that as best we can, given that sometimes one chamber may swing one way or the other. But I think employees want to feel heard similar to everyone else. You just want your voice to be heard. So I find that by taking time to pick up the phone and have a conversation, respond to their email promptly, most of my employees have been very receptive and understand our position. So we have had maybe like one or two people drop off. But for the most part, I think, and those people told me that they were leaving at the end of last year. So that was fine. But I think for the most part, by and large, employees are satisfied with the work that we're doing. And they know that at the end of the day, we're advocating in the best interest of the company and not our personal interests. While we've got you, 
There are a lot of firms across our country who are embracing a pack match program and people have struggled with it. It's it's gotten stood up and then it's become more abundant and then it's been reinvigorated. Talk about how Visa's doing it. What tools, if any, are you guys utilizing that makes it easier? What works best? What's what's the Visa pack match story? Sure. So prior to me joining Visa, they had a pack match program. I don't really recall the terms and conditions, but I know they were in the process of decommissioning and it was it was discontinued in late 2014, early 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So in 2017, we welcomed a new CEO. He's very supportive of the PAC Match program. And so we restarted it. I implemented it with a dollar for dollar PAC Match no minimum required, and the charities are fully vetted and dispersed through Benevity, which is a tool that we use internally for our corporate match. And so, I mean, honestly, employees love being able to click. It's like one click and you're done. The vetting process is less than 30 days and everyone knows exactly where your money is going. And it's just a very simplistic, easy to do. I think that's actually been a huge driver in the success of the program, just because employees are not only helping the company, but then they're also able to support those charitable organizations important to them. So it's kind of a two for one if you think about it. Adrian, I just have to say, I love all of the programs that you've implemented. You've got so much creativity and excitement, it sounds like, in your programs. And I just want all of our listeners, if you don't mind, I think they need to be calling you for ideas and, and ways to structure a lot of what they're doing, because I love all the success that you've had at Visa. So congratulations on that. And, and speaking of just continuing on more programs that you've done, your portfolio at Visa has also included civic engagement, and you launched a terrific toolkit on that last year. Tell us about it. Sure. So uh, last summer, early fall, we received several inquiries from employees just wanting to know how they can participate in the political process. We were right ahead of the general election and whether it was volunteering for a campaign or contacting their government officials, some people were just a little apprehensive, like, I don't necessarily wanna contribute or I don't have the funds to contribute. How can I get involved? So I created what I like to call the Civic Engagement Toolkit, and it serves as a comprehensive resource guide really to empower employees to advocate on personal political issues important to them. So it includes a number of really great resources. It starts out with a message from our CEO, which really serves as the underpinning of the toolkit. It also includes just who we are in government engagement. It always amazes me that so many people have no idea that A, we have a government engagement team and B, that we're in DC. <laughs> Um, I also included a compliance at a glance. So just trying to reinforce to employees that you're advocating on behalf of yourself and not the company. 
And then I've also included just ways to understand the legislative process. So is your public policy issue a state and local issue? Is it a national issue? Ways to engage with government officials, whether it be email or phone or social media. You know, I always say if your public policy issue is urgent and top of mind, then you need to get on the phone. You know, if it can wait, if you've got some time, then social media or email may be the best route for you. But then also just trying to help employees connect the dots. So I also included a piece on communicating with government officials, helping them understand that sometimes if you have an in-person meeting, you might have a meeting as they're on their way, walking in the hallway, you know, to another meeting. But then I also included like some examples of effective tweet and best practices. So trying to remind employees that they need to exercise good judgment and carefully consider the words that they use. Uh, You get more bees with honey, I like to say. Um, And then I also threw in a couple communication templates. So just some boilerplate language that kind of gives them an outline that they can use as a guide. Well, I'm sure your employees are very appreciative of having all of those tools at the ready. So really nice job. Adrian Marks from Visa, thank you so much for being a great guest on the Facts About Packs podcast. I had a ball. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Adrian, And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing the Facts About Packs podcast. As ever, employee-funded and business trade association packs are the most transparent and regulated form of political giving. And NABPAC is dedicated to defending that record and championing the amazing PAC professionals who lead vital teams. Subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About PACs podcast.